Hi there. A quick message before we start. Don't forget that you can save money this winter when you book your ski hire at intersupportrent.com and use the code SKIPODCAST. You'll get a guaranteed discount for all ski hire in France, Austria and Switzerland. And to make it even simpler, you don't even need to use that code. Just take the link in the show notes and your basket will automatically be reduced. So if you want to support the Ski Podcast, remember to book your ski hire within support and to use the code Ski Podcast or take the link in the show notes. It'll save you money and help us too. Right, let's get on with the show. Welcome to episode 177 of the Ski Podcast and thanks for joining us, listener. Today, I'm delighted to welcome snowboarding, skateboarding, BMX presenter and generally very loud voice, according to his own uh, words, Tim Warwood. Uh, hi, Tim. How are you? Good yeah, good. How are you doing? Yeah, very good. I'm really pleased that you've joined us today because I think I'm right in saying that it's your birthday today. Is that correct? It is, yeah. Happy birthday to me. Um, <laughs> well, thanks thanks for giving up time on your birthday. Uh, your not a card. problem. I'm, I'm at the age now where birthdays are A, not really wanted, and B, pale into insignificance. So, so it's, um, not a, it's not a significant birthday? It's not a significant one. No, just a, a run-of-the-mill number 44 right in the middle. And, uh, oh, well, hopefully, okay. Hopefully in the middle. I did do a bit of a Google, and on famousbirthdays.com, it says that you're 50 today. <laughs> <laughs> Well, firstly, I don't know why I'm on famous birthdays. Um, yeah, because my brother, my brother found this because my brother lives in America, and whenever he's trying to tell these mates in America, oh, my brother works in TV and he does this and whatever, they Google me or whatever over there, and it comes up on famous birthdays. Yeah, well, yeah, today would be fifty. I think that was an internet safety thing. I must have put my date in wrong on another website somewhere, okay. and uh, subsequently, the whole internet now thinks I'm. 50. No, I was going to say more importantly than that, than being 50, it also says on the internet that I'm worth £1.2 million, pounds, um, which is completely untrue as well. Uh, so don't oh, believe excellent. anything you read on the internet. I don't know how, we won't discuss how old you are because that might reveal your exact uh, birth date, but it does say on <laughs> famousbirthdays.com, you are number 20 for a tourist named Tim. And, and also number 48 as a 49-year-old TV host. Flipping heck. Oh, number, I'm, I'm the 48th best 49-year-old TV presenter. <laughs> except, except, except that you're not. Yeah. Uh, now, oh. you know, I, I mentioned snowboarding commentary in the, uh, the lead-in. I think probably many listeners to the podcast will know you uh, from that and from features that you've done for a Ski Sunday. But, you know, all of that is really just skimming the surface because you have had a very long career in presenting and we were just chatting earlier it's include disney red bull cbbc dave so listen depending on your viewing habits you might have seen uh, tim in all sorts of uh, different shows and um, you know, and i'd like to come back to those later on but obviously i think it's snowboarding that you're most known for certainly for me uh, anyway uh, and I wondered if I could just uh, take you back. I mean, how did you become a snowboarder in the first place? Uh, I, I read somewhere that you are uh, um, one of an elite group of athletes who've turned into media personalities. <laughs> well, uh, I don't think there's many of us, to be honest. Um, yeah, so it was. I was a skateboarder. I was a grufty skateboarder as a kid. My, my older sister, who I really looked up to, had a... Uh, a boyfriend who was a skateboarder, he had pink hair and he was so cool. <laughs> and I just remember, just fell in love with skateboarding and, and me and a group of mates, we all skateboarded. 
um, around the local cul-de-sac and, you know, waxing curbs and all that kind of stuff. And just really fell in love with skateboarding and the culture and the music and the baggy clothes and all that stuff. And so as a kid, I was, I was doing that, but also at school, my, my, eldest sister and then my brother both went on the school ski trips i remember my mom and dad remortgaging the house to pay for us to do these <laughs> school ski trips you know which and i remember going to the mountains we went to italy went to sestriere um on a school ski trip and i just remember being absolutely blown away with the mountains and loving skiing and i came back and i must have been going well oh, skiing this and skiing that da, da, da. and my mom found a coupon in the local newspaper because they just They'd just opened the Tamworth Snowdome round the corner. So this was back in 1994. And my mum went, here you go, ski for a fiver. So she said, you love skiing. So, she, so we went down there and, and, and I had some, I went and skied for an hour in my jogging bottoms in, in the Tamworth Snowdome. Absolutely loved it again. And on my way out, I'm not quite sure what possessed me, but I, I just walked up to the desk and I said, do you do, it was, it was school, it was work experience at school and we we're supposed to, be deciding and loads of kids were off to you know paper merchants or the local <laughs> factory or whatever it might be and I just went up to the desk and I said do you do do you do work experience you know school work experience and the manager the guy behind the desk was like well I don't we ha- we haven't actually yet well, I mean we can we haven't so I ended up being the first person to do their school work experience at the snowdome and um after my very first day uh doing work experience there on the Monday, whenever it was, I, I went and had a snowboard lesson because I saw snowboards behind the, behind the ski hire there. And I was just absolutely blown away that you could do all the tricks you could do on a skateboard, but it was attached to your feet. So it was way easier. So I had a snowboard lesson that first ever day doing my work experience at the snow dome. And without boasting or bragging, I was able to ride from the top all the way to the bottom by the end of the lesson. That, I mean, that's very impressive. And those tricks, did you really manage to segue from your skateboard onto a snowboard kind of straight away? Yeah, pretty much. I mean, I was a terrible skateboarder, but I but I could fly around on a skateboard. I couldn't do many tricks or anything. But, you know, it's something I'd done since the age of 10, you know, skateboarding. So I've been skateboarding for five, five years or so. It just shows that, uh, you know, if you don't ask a question, you'll never find out. So, you know, yeah. what a brilliant way to uh, to do your work experience. And so you ended up, uh, 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 you know, going back there on a regular basis? Yeah, so I, I did my work experience, just fell in love with the place. I immediately applied for a job to work there. I, I snowboarded, uh, those two weeks of work experience, I snowboarded every single day. And I, I was just absolutely hooked. And then... I was the, yeah, I got a job there straight out of school, went and worked at the Snowdome and again, just rode every single day. And I just, just absolutely loved it. Fell in love with the scene and all the older kids there, the, excuse me, the snowboard instructors, Mark Chester and John Sewell. I met all the Boardwise gang and Doug Foden and Dave Furno, the SS20 crew and, you know, all these old, old stalwarts in the snowboard scene because the Snowdome was a relatively new place well it was brand new back then so the the uk snowboard ski scene were coming down and i was just immediately plugged in and, and met met everybody basically and did they have because i think that that the tamworth one was the first to open in the uk because now mm-hmm. we have quite a few uh snow domes did they have many features in there did they have like rails or kickers or anything they had, a, they had a few i mean it was it was only ever we, we'd build them you know we would we would make ramps and it was the shop back then was boardwise was called grand prix so um there was a 
it was called the Grand Prix ramp because they made it. So we'd get that out. We'd we'd just drag the the ramps out when we needed them. There was you know we'd make snow bits of snow and jibbing was kind of around, but not so much. We we had a couple of gas pipes. We'd lie down on the snow and but this was this was kind of the late stage of jibbing before jibbing kind of died for a couple <laughs> of years. If you know what I mean. And what kind of job did you do what what work I, I i worked in ski hire yeah so i just gave out the skis i, I did my <laughs> ski hire instructor's exam it's the only exam i've ever passed and um, <laughs> learned to give out skis and yeah it was wicked cool well i mean i guess there's a limit to how much you can learn uh at tamworth and i'm pretty sure that you know that that taste that you'd had of the mountains in sestria you wanted to uh, uh get out and experience that some more but rather than just going to europe you went a bit further afield i did yeah well it was really <laughs> random we um so so again through working at the snowdome and i was competing at this point and and just meeting loads of different people i met a guy I, do you know what's really funny well, i was trying to think of his surname yesterday and i can't think of it but his name was nick and he uh started a it was called the rocky mountain snowboard tour and it was a, a tour company which went to winter park colorado so I, like I say, straight out of school, um, that November, I or December even, I was 16 years of age. It was the, my first time ever on an aeroplane, and I went off to work in his chalet. So flew off to Colorado at 16 to be a, a chalet maid and, and went and worked in the Rocky Mountains. How cool, how cool yeah. is that? Were you actually cooking then or just like i mean i think i was i think i was putting out the cereal bowls and cleaning the bedrooms when the guests went went snowboarding but you know that is that is an um, amazing at 16 years old i've i've um i know pat sharples uh who you probably know gb sports uh coach who kind of had a similar bath he just sent himself out to courcheval because he wanted to uh, ski at a similar age and in the end managed to blag his way you know, into uh, into a job, but that's you know, it's pretty pretty young to be. Uh, I don't know, crossing continents and uh, living overseas. I mean, what I was it like out there? Yeah, I mean, it was just it was mind melting. It was absolutely. I, I mean, I'd never. I'm not ashamed to say I'd never done any washing. I remember my bag of washing. I, I had no clean clothes, and I was a bit like, uh, what? I guess I've got to wash my own clothes. <laughs> I was I literally was 16, and I think from. From kind of fifteen or fourteen when I when I started snowboarding, I, I just was everything was about snowboarding. It was just I wanted to do it. I was competing. We were driving. My mom and dad were driving us all up and down the country to to snowboard events and and dry slope events all over the place. And to get out there to Colorado, like I say, it was the first time ever on an aeroplane. And then I've got a thirteen year old daughter now. I would never let her go away at sixteen on her own. But my mom and dad must have just had this like, well. He's got to go. He, I clearly had this love at this. That I was never going to quench the quench the thirst in the UK. I had to go to the mountains, and I just remember being out there. And the Rocky Mountains are beautiful. You know, they're, they're just the best place ever. And I just couldn't believe how fast you could go. How fast <laughs> you could go on a snowboard. You know, within within ten seconds of riding off the top of that first lift, I was already going four times faster than I'd ever gone at the snowdome. Yeah, well, when you've got more than 100 or 120 metres yeah. to play with, then it's a, it's a little bit easier, isn't it? Yeah. I, I mean, you mentioned a few times there about competing. You said you were uh, competing because there's some people, you know, they've heard you talking about and doing commentary on uh, snowboarding competitions. But you were a competitive snowboarder. And I think 
I read somewhere that you are still the current British snowboard slalom champion. Is that oh, right? Oh well, this is there's a bit of well, this cuts me. Deep. You cut me deep in. You cut me real deep. <laughs> I actually lost that title just a few weeks ago up, oh, in, no. uh, up at the Brits. But um, no, yeah, did a lot. Did a lot of competitions, and and so a lot of the dry slope competitions. And I was a junior champion and a, a junior freestyle champion. I was I was always naturally quite good at quite good at racing and carving and and had quite good edge control and I think that was due to hanging out with Damon Street and and Dave Furno the the hard booters and Jeremy Sladen would come down and and we'd you know so I I used to ride hard boots every now and then at the Snowdome because again I just loved how fast they were but I actually that first season when I went to Winter Park I was selected to compete for Back, what was back then the GB team, um, but it was the junior squad because there wasn't there wasn't a male like a, an older male. Yeah, elite team. Elite team. Yeah, like your junior. <laughs> What's the next one above juniors? Yeah, senior. Men, yeah, senior. Thank you. Flipping heck, it's uh, <laughs> that's what happens when you get to forty four. Um, so yeah, there wasn't a senior team at the time, and and the, the the GB setup was a bunch of parents that just took the kids to the contest. It wasn't a, there was no performance coaches or wax techs or any you know any anything like that. It was just you went under a GB umbrella and, and you competed. So that first season I did compete for, uh, for GB for the British team in Japan. We went over to Japan. Um, and yeah, again, so at 16, having never gone on an aeroplane, all of a sudden that season, I, I went to winter park and I worked at winter park in order to pay for my Japan trip and, uh, competed in the slalom where I got 46th out of 48. So didn't come last. <laughs> right. <laughs> And just to kind of like clarify for the listener, I mean, this this era of snowboarding was it was very, you know, early on. There was nothing like slope style or half pipe or anything like that at that time. No, I, did, I, I don't think it was called slope style back then. It was maybe called freestyle. No, I don't think it was. But yeah, you would do and you turn up. It was a weekend affair, you know, whether it was dry. Well, it was was only dry slope competitions back then. But you would go to. I mean, we went all over, absolutely all over. You name a dry slope, and we we've competed there in some kind of jam or a, or a session. And um, yeah, you would do the you would do the slalom on the Saturday, and then the freestyle on the Sunday. And I would always do really well in the the slalom, and okay in the freestyle, which would then mean I'd end up winning the overall. And it was always me and Elliot Neve battling for the top spot, and Hamish McKnight, the the now GB coach. Yep. Um, he was very fast, so he'd always, if he turned up, he'd be difficult to beat in the slalom. He was always really good. But it was an incredible scene and just, you know, it was all about everybody did everything and there was no kind of, yeah, like you say, slope style rails. There were only a handful of rails on the slopes, but primarily it was a jumper, like a big air contest. Well, uh, I've interviewed a couple of other uh, people from that era. Chris Moran, uh, if, listeners, if they want to listen, he, I mean, he was probably competing around that time as well. Yeah, he was just—he would have just been on his way out of the the dry slope scene, so <laughs> right. to speak. So I was the next, almost the next generation coming in. But I do yeah. remember some of the some of the bigger contests. You know, Chris Moran and Steve Bailey and Danny Wheeler, all those incredible snowboarders back in the day, just looking at yeah. them. Oh my God, they're amazing. And I know, I'm sorry uh, that I brought it up that you lost your title as British Snowboard oh. Champion, but you were at the Brits. You actually took part, didn't you? Yeah, so basically the, the British champs this year were held up in Aviemore, Scotland. Um, brilliant weekend. But um, the big problem for me was the last time they held any kind of British slalom slash bank slalom title or contest was 
back in 2000 in Meyerhofen, and I actually won that contest. So I was uh, I was the reigning champion for 23 years because they basically <laughs> didn't do any other contests. And uh, so I, I, I laughed and joked on social media. I said, I'm going to bring the title and no one's going to take it away from me and all this. But um, I think I did quite well. I mean, the, 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 the eventual winner... Um, you and you and Baxter. I mean, he. I mean, he built the course, didn't he? So he, that's an unfair advantage. Um, and Ben Kinner. Well, I mean, he's a he's a brilliant snowboarder. But no, it was an amazing. It was an amazing time. I got third. I, I got I got a bronze medal in the Masters. So yeah, can't ask. Or is it might even be legends. I think I'm even older than the Masters, aren't I? But um, no, it's such an amazing weekend. And what they'd done up there with the snow conditions and and the weather was actually quite kind. There was no wind. There was a a, a smattering of rain, but you know, it didn't dampen spirits and it was such a, such an amazing event put on by Stu and Spencer. And, um, yeah, it was, it was just really, really good, but yeah, yeah it was, it was I great. Relinquished it, the title. it was a shame that you, that, that you didn't win or they could argue maybe because it was a bank slalom. That's different from the previous slalom. I mean, technically, you know, I spoke to Thomas back at the IOC after, and I was like, you know, <laughs> do I really have to give up the title? Because, <laughs> um, but if you want to drill down into it specifics, you know, I was, I was third place, um, I was third place in the Masters. Um, however, I was actually the first placed English male master. So technically, I'm the English bank slalom champion. Cool. Well, it was great to see the, <laughs> the, the Brits back again. Yeah, and, really. Uh, good. You know, after you know COVID and various uh, other issues, and I hope that continues. And you know, maybe goes out the outs. I don't know where the best place for it is. Great to have it in the in the UK, but be good to to, to have that again. Can I just take you back to the states? Because yeah, go for you know, it. Now you're you know you're known as uh, let's say a TV uh, personality rather than a, a competitor. And it's when you're in the states that you started kind of getting involved with media and making your own movies. Yeah, you know how did how did that come about? Yeah, so we were, we just, I think it was the almost the, the advent of the video camera, wasn't it? And, and you know, it, little video cameras became more portable and more accessible. And being over there in, in America, we, we, I did that first season in Winter Park. I say season, I did, I think it was six or eight weeks over there. So just a couple of months in Winter Park and then came back to compete and do some bits over here. And then very quickly, we, I decided I was going back and I actually, got in touch with my well got in touch I was living with them my brother and sister um and we all decided we'd all go we did we'd all the whole family had started snowboarding at this point this point my little sister was too young she was still at school but um the rest of us me me Andy my brother and my sister Heidi we found that Vale Resorts in Colorado in in Vale who at the time owned Keystone Breckenridge and Vale they were doing this basically a visa scheme for foreign workers. So you'd have this telephone interview with this guy, <laughs> Jeff Whiteside, his name was, lovely chap. And uh, he said, hey, can you, do you fancy coming and flipping some burgers and cleaning up some trays? And we were like, yeah. He's like, great, I'll give you a visa. So the government at the time were basically giving visas to kids from all over the world to just come and work for Vale Resorts. And you'd get your visa so you could stay there for six months of the year. You'd get housing. You'd get your pay. You'd get a lift pass. I mean, it was just... It was for a kid of 17, it was like a dream come true. And we'd go out to Vale, we'd work three days on, three days off. So you just get all this time to snowboard. We were working on the very top of the mountain. So we'd snowboard to the top of the mountain every day to do the work, snowboard home every day. We'd get free food. I mean, hopefully Jeff Whiteside isn't listening, but we'd steal cookies and apples. So we didn't have, so we didn't have to like, um, 
you know, we'd eat we'd eat like a lord for our lunch because it was free food up there when you're eating. But then um, you would you'd steal a couple of things for dinner, and you're living off granola bars and apples and and blueberry muffins, and just earning loads of money and just having literally the best time that a 17 year old could have with my brother and sister there and i think we we met we met some guys in fact yeah we did we met some lifties that were from cornwall called the eldridge brothers tom and john eldridge who were surfers turned snowboarders and they had a video camera so they started making movies we we all basically just would take the camera up and started filming ourselves and making snowboard movies and at the time snowboard movies were very much part of part and parcel of the culture of snowboarding you'd wait every year you'd have to wait till that november when all the latest movies were out and you would see the progression and how good everybody was and of course it was filmed the season before but it was just you know a way of recording it and just an amazing thing to be doing really I love that idea as well that, you know, for for some listeners, it's going to be quite weird to imagine that there was no YouTube. This is pre-YouTube. It was not like oh. you shoot something and stick it up straight away. You're saying you wait until that time of year when everyone releases all their ski and snowboard videos and then see what people have been doing. <laughs> I mean, if you if you think about it, I, I mean, I just sound old now, but, you know, no no emails, no instant messenger, no texts no whatsapp no mobile phones no you know if you if i wanted to phone my mom or if i wanted to get in touch with my mom i'd basically have to go to the shop buy a phone card that was worth ten dollars <laughs> scratch it off i then have to phone this number put in the 16 digit number phone my mom in the uk and you know so you'd have the you'd have the weekly phone call and it, there'd be a load of aussies and argentinians and kiwis all standing in the line at the public phones to phone home to their mom and dad and stuff but um yeah, with that in mind, you know, technology, there, were, there was no YouTube. I mean, videos, there was no GoPros, none of that business. So it was a case of cataloging your whole winter and then editing it down and then releasing it in the, the next year. I think that around that time then was when you kind of started working, producing videos with your, your kind of long time friend and husband and filmmaker you can husband. say husband uh, yeah. adam gendel is that right yeah yeah so well actually me and gendel were were all, almost best mates from the office a couple of years younger than me but we met at the snow dome so during those heady days of snowboard contests and riding every minute that god sent we just became the bestest of mates really and i went off to do seasons but he was actually still at school at this point and so when when he was old enough, he, you know, like me, gave up all of his tuition and everything and, and started snowboarding. So he'd come out and stay on our floor. And he ended up doing a following a bit more of the competition path. Um, uh, and at the same time, he he was very much into his filmmaking. So he was he had a video or his sister had a video camera. So she was providing the means for him to kind of film himself. And we just would make little video, little silly videos here and there and bits and bobs. And while I was in America doing the same, he was doing it around Europe. And when we'd get back together in the summer, um, we just kind of decided we could make some videos. And he actually made a video for Jeremy Sladen at the Snowboard Asylum. He was working at the Snowboard Asylum at the time. And he showed Jeremy one of his little videos he made. And Jez had the, the foresight to say, well, I'll tell you what, why don't you make one of those for us? We'll put our logo on it and we'll give it away. It can be a bit of a docu- bit of a, a documentary about the British scene. And so um, he he did that. Basically, the first one he made was called Up Dog. And uh, yeah, it was an amazing little movie. And at the same time, I was in America. And so 
for the next year, we just decided, well, let's just let's just make a movie together. And Jez, Jez supported our movie. And I filmed kind of North America and Whistler and all those kids and with uh, John and Tom Eldridge. And then Gendel did the same over in Europe. And, and Lockdown Projects was born. Lockdown projects, yeah, way ahead of its time. <laughs> yeah, one, yeah. Unfortunately. <laughs> well, it's so funny now because I've still got the, the web address and the email, my email, tim at lockdownprojects.com. And, and <laughs> it's amazing how many people, when you have to give your email, they go, oh, what's that then? Which is that? Ooh, that's timely or whatever. You're like, yeah. I've actually had it for about 20 years, that email yeah. address. Was it Terminal Ferocity, that first yeah, we, movie you did? Well, no, the, the, we made four movies in total. So the first one was Proper. And then the the second one was Badass Big Airs. Third one was Show Offs. And then our fourth and final movie was Terminal Ferocity. And the, basically the movies themselves got more and more, they, they turned more into kind of less about the snowboarding and more about the comedy because we're both frustrated filmmakers. So um, the first one had a few little skits in. The next one was kind of a bit more. The, the third one was 50-50. And then Terminal Ferocity was essentially a, a full-on send-up. It was a mockumentary about British snowboarding. <laughs> so I, just... have to, I have to say, I haven't seen that one, but I was like looking around YouTube and I found a, what I found really entertaining video filmed at the 2006 Brits. Oh yeah, yeah. Where, which I think you'd uh, put together, and I was, you know, and I don't know so many of the snowboarders and the snowboarding scene, particularly from you know that uh, that era. But I was looking through. Oh, you know, I recognise yeah, oh, that's yeah. Steve Brass there, and I think that's Ed Lee there, and I yeah, was like, yeah. uh, you know, really, really. Uh, oh, Matt Barr, I saw in there as well. I really, really enjoyed watching uh, that one, and clearly just having a lot of fun there, right? Yeah, it's you know that's you know we had these video cameras which which gave us so much kind of. I don't want to use the word, gave us access, but it kind of did give us access to just doing whatever we wanted. And, we, you know, our movies were supported by Jeremy Sladen, who essentially it was his marketing material for the year. He would, we'd make these snowboard movies, we'd print them to DVD, Jez would print 20,000 copies and give them away from the shop. And, it, it, you know, the, the movies were also supported by people like Red Bull and we did a lot of work with Stu Brass, Spencer Claridge at the Brits and, and ended up, you know, filming out there and doing loads of bits and bobs. And so it really gave us this kind of like a license to just kind of go places and do cool stuff and film with people. And like I said, Red Bull supported us. So they then turned out to, turned around to us and said, oh, can you come and film our team trips? So we went and filmed their, all their team trips with all the Red Bull athletes and subsequently meeting then the likes of G. Atherton and Andrew Cotty and surfers and skaters and immersing ourselves in those worlds. And at the time we were making, like you said, those videos of the Brits, those lip, lip sync music videos. So we'd <laughs> we'd basically film people and we'd make our own music videos and, and just doing loads of random bits and bobs, which you know, it ended up leading us to working on a, a movie set. We ended up working on the movie Chalet Girl. Right, yeah. Oh, I love that movie. Um, I'm guessing a lot of listeners uh, will have seen it. I know it was filmed in St. Anton because it went out there and you know, had a look at yeah, yeah, some yeah. of the areas that they filmed it. Um, Felicity Jones, I think, is the actress who then, you know, went on to become a big star uh, yeah. in Rogue One, you know, Star Wars and other uh, such things. And um, what was your involvement with that then? So again, yeah, through through our involved through through the, the snowboard asylum videos and doing these lip sync music videos and 
just random bits. We we did some work for Roxy, and um, we were just doing some snowboard videos with them, with the Roxy team, and Tora Bright, and Amy Fuller, and Shirsty Buass, all the old snowboarders from back in the day. And when Chalet Girl came out, they were sponsored or, or supported by Roxy, all the cast and crew were in were in Roxy gear and Roxy actually said to the to the the movie people they said oh we can we have our we'd like some snowboard consultants out there Mm -hmm. and they were like okay so they basically sent me and Gendel along to kind of (laughs) be on set with all these A-list you know Bill Nye and and Brooke Shields and everybody to be basically be snowboard consultants and make sure that they were filming snowboarding in a core way and that it was true to snowboarding but of course, we got out there, and they were like, "You little rats are coming nowhere near our movie. You, <laughs> you go off over there." <laughs> so basically, we we decided when we were out there, we're like, "Well, they wanted us to film." They were like, "You could just film some behind the go and film some behind the scenes, like just kind of brushing us off." They were like, "Just get out of our hair." So we're like, "Okay." So we decided we would film one of our lip sync music videos, <laughs> and um, as a behind the scenes kind of you know feature for afterwards, and. We got managed. We ended up making good friends with Bill Nye because Gendel's a Man United fan, and so is Bill Nye. So they kind of really hit it off with the mutual love of Man United, and they were we watched the Champions League together out there and stuff. And anyway, it was ended up, and we said, "Oh, Bill, we want to film this music video. You wouldn't be up for doing." He's like, "Yeah, yeah, cool, yeah, I'll sing. <laughs> totally sing for you guys." <laughs> so we had Bill Nye singing in this music video, and of course, because Bill Nye is such a legend, the moment everybody else saw him saw Bill doing it. They're like, well, if he's doing it, I'll do it. So we had S- Ed, we- Ed Westwick and Nick Braun and Felicity Jones, everybody singing along in this music video. And um, we kind of were cutting it as we go because we had our laptops out there and we were editing as we go. And on the last night of the shoot, well, the last night of the shoot that we were there in St. Anton, we um, we kind of did a bit of a showing for the for the directors and the, the cast and stuff. We went, oh, we've made this for you as a bit of a bit of a thank you. And they were like, Oh my god, this is the best thing we've ever seen. So we did it to Kim Wilde Checker Love, Checkered Love. So then they went, Well, we're gonna have to we're gonna have to use it. So they went and spoke to Kim Wilde's music company, had to buy the rights, and then they used it as the closing credits of the movie. That so- I did not know that. That is so cool. I'm gonna have to watch it again. We've we've got it on our a hard drive here because a bit like yeah. eddie the eagle uh, movie yeah it's yeah. one of those ones that can kind of roll out with the kids you know again and again cool that i mean that is uh brilliant would have been really good to be uh involved in that and that you know what we've talked about you know just now is a lot of the the filming side of things but at some point there was that transition over to commentating and doing commentary how, how did that come about yeah so Again, from just snowboarding and being at all these events and being loud and is it gregacious the word? What's you know? But gregarious. <laughs> gregarious, <maybe. laughs> yeah. Being loud and gregarious and and just obnoxious, I guess. In in you know, I was at an event and I couldn't ride, and so Stu Brass, who was the organizer, came over and he gave me a mic. He went, "Yeah, oh, you're loud. You can commentate for the day." So I just sat there and commentated on all my mates and what have you. And at the end of the day, he came over and he gave me thirty quid. And I looked at him, I was like, oh, what, you get paid, you can get paid to talk? I could not believe it. It was, like a, it was like a moment. And so at that point, I thought, right, this is it, I'm in. I could go to these snowboard events, maybe get top 10 if I was having the best day ever, or I could go to the same events and commentate all day, drink beer, 
and still get paid. And so the transition was quite quick, I would say. Um, and so just ended up getting into commentary. I'd go to all the same events and commentate. And I, um, I, there was a TV director at one of the events, a guy called Dylan Davies from Channel 4, and he came and said, you should, you should try some telly. Would you be up for it? And I said, yeah, that'd be amazing. Thank you very much. So um, sign me up. So I ended up going out and working on my first ever show. It was um, uh, a show called Free Sports on 4 for Channel 4. And it was kind of following in, it following in Ed Lee's footsteps. You know, he was commentating before me and I then started commentating. And then he moved on to Channel 4 and he moved on to the BBC and I moved on to Channel 4 and just ended up following his, following his footsteps and cut my teeth basically just on the job, just learnt on the fly. And I think Dylan Davies at Channel 4 was very, very patient with me as I was churning <laughs> out 50 takes to try and get one link. Free sports on four. That's yeah. not just snowboarding, is it? There are all sorts of uh, different events there, right? Yeah, yeah. They um, basically any any event. They, it was almost a uh, ad funded or, or brand funded, so they would go to the O'Neill Cold Water Classic or the Xbox Big Day Out. These big kind of brand funded events um, and basically make highlight shows for Channel Four. But because of my work with Red Bull and and my love of the action sports world and free sports world, I. I could just kind of turn my hand to it really and this sounds really cheesy but I guess because I'd competed not to a super high level or anything but I'd you know I'd been a competitor and I knew what it was like I could talk to the skiers and snowboarders and skaters and BMXers kind of on their level and I knew where they were coming from I knew when to push I knew when to not ask questions I knew basically how to tread quite carefully and um yeah, just just loved it. Just loved it. So yeah, did BMX stuff, skate events, surf events, travelled the world. It was it was amazing. I was really yeah. Uh, there's there's one question I got to ask. You said the Xbox Big Day Out. Did that used to be Gumby's Big Day Out? It Is did. That the same yeah. thing. Yeah, right. yeah. So it was a uh, Anthony Gumbly um, or Gumby as he's better known in Valdez Air put on this crazy event that yeah. turned into this big yeah. monstrosity it was it was a kind of originally a sort of uh like a, a a kind of core end of season snowboarder type of event and then yeah. i guess it you know commercialized it became bigger and bigger yeah yeah and just ended up getting i saw scissor sisters play there <laughs> pretty pretty amazing <laughs> Yeah, well, we're getting getting distracted there because yeah. say, I get that commentary, right? You're starting to do uh, TV work. You know, I remember different ski shows. You're talking about, you know, doing commentary there. The amazing, uh, the the freeze when uh, that big air was put in at Battersea yeah. Power Station in London. You were doing the commentary for that as well. Yeah, yeah. But I, I, I was wheeled out for anything. I, I also, <laughs> I also have a, well, it's a bit of an affliction. I, I can't say no to things. I say yes to everything, um, <laughs> which is which is both a blessing and a curse. But just did everything, you know, you name it. I've commentated on it and and presented on it or hosted on it. And um, this was a kind of all before the advent of of YouTube and all this kind of stuff. And you know, like I said, just working on absolutely everything, any kind of show, any kind of any kind of event and just cut my teeth doing it basically you just you learn on the job and and I think I mentioned earlier following in Ed Lee's footsteps he was kind of trailblazing this path for a kind of a waste a snowboarder to be a bit more professional and I was just following right behind him yeah, well, maybe that fits into my kind of next question because, um, you know, you, you obviously presented in, in different places, Channel 4, et cetera. But 
we're moving towards you know 2014 Sochi Winter Olympics yeah you know snowboarding events uh, featuring and you get asked to join the team <laughs> how yeah, was it like yeah. to, how was it like to get that phone call do you know what Un- unbelievable i mean it, it i think for for many of us and I, I don't really ever want to say this but i can't you kind of have to but it's kind of it's a valid it's a, it's a validation isn't it for what you do and i think as a as a young snotty teenager begging my parents to take me to the snowdome again please can you take me to the snowdome again please can you please can i go to winter park in colorado please can i go and do a season in vale you know all these things that i just wanted to do my mom and dad must have been thinking what on earth is he, what is he doing with his life? And they must've just seen how much I loved it. And I wasn't a bad kid. I never got arrested. I didn't do drugs or smoke or anything like that. Um, And so they must've just thought, well, it's keeping him on the straight and narrow. He's nice. He's not killing anybody. And, and you know, what, what's the worst that could happen? So to speak, I can always remember my mom saying, Tim, you really need to think about saving for a house. I can always remember saying that, but it's, (laughs) You know, it's it's you go through life and you're doing all these events and you're working and doing all these random bits. I remember my 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 granny war would introduce me to somebody as a professional snowballer, um, which always made me laugh. I don't think she quite understood it, but to get to the BBC and to get to that level is a, is a bit of a validation for almost the older generation. But I think it rubs off on you a little bit, doesn't it? And it all of a sudden I was there and and listening in your ear you're listening to claire balding off the telly say your name to introduce you as a commentator was just mind melting and that and, and that's live as well right well i wasn't no what we we just weren't prepared for it it was <laughs> um it was a sunday morning we'd we'd been in sochi for a couple of weeks or or a week preparing and the qualifiers had been going on and me and Ed had been going up and doing the commentary every day as though we were live because it was, I think it was the second day of, of Slope Style, but it was actually the first day back in the UK of it being live on the telly. And I think it was, I told this story not too long ago, but it was a bit of a perfect storm because it was a Sunday morning. It was really horrible weather over here. We're four hours behind over here in the UK. So, the whole of the UK were waking up. It was a horrible Sunday morning, but it was the first first Sunday of, of the Olympics and um, Jenny Jones had qualified for the final. So, you know, the whole news were like, oh, there's a Brit, there's a new event. It's called, oh, it's called Slope Style. And what's this? Obviously, <laughs> we'd been snowboarding Slope Style for years. It wasn't new to us. It was it was a it was something that that we were kind of used to and and ed had brought me on board as a as a freestyle ski and snowboard kind of expert to help him out um and i'll be eternally great eternally grateful for that you know it's ed's one of my bestest oldest friends from snowboarding but he you know it was a bit of a leap of faith for him to to really put all of his eggs in my basket and say to the bosses at bbc no tim will be tim will be good trust me trust me so we ended up being we ended up getting out there we'd had these couple of days before and yeah like i say the whole perfect storm of of the event coming round and jenny qualifying for the finals and me and ed are in the booth and we'd been in the booth since 7am and then yeah all of a sudden we ended up going live on the telly yeah well we have to talk about you know uh, jenny jones and and that particular event i mean firstly because it's such a key point in uk snowboarding history you know because i really think that that uh, trip to switch in terms of you know a- a- awareness and you talk about the uh, the number of people who were who were tuning in 
And, you know, you'd known Jenny Jones for a long time. First ever Olympic medal on snow. She was the oldest competitor in the final, I think. Uh, yeah, quite significantly yeah. as well. You know, a very exciting moment. Very exciting. Lots of a debate <laughs> as to whether yourself, Ed, and I think Amy Fuller was in the box there with you as well, uh, got carried away. I'm sure you've heard these. I thought I'd read out a couple of uh, quotes, which you'll, I bet you'll appreciate. The Daily Mail described you as uh, immature idiots. And someone in below <laughs> the line said, I hope the BBC snowboarding commentary team get buried in an avalanche. <laughs> what? What? <laughs> And then I've got another one, another oh one um, where they said, um, I want a refund on my bit of the license fee paying for the appalling slope style commentators. I sometimes write for the Telegraph. Um, and while I do my best not to get too engaged, I do read the below the line uh, comments because I've written a few things about sustainability and electric cars and this and that. And it's just not a good way. Don't feed the trolls is what they say. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but um, basically, you know, you were in the moment. You were incredibly passionate about it. If people haven't listened to it, they can they can uh, track it down. But you know, how does that how does it feel looking back on 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 that now? Um, I, I mean, if it would be this, if we went back in time and did it again, it would be exactly the same. I, I'm, I can almost guarantee it because it was just. It was the perfect storm. I, I've said it time and time again, but Jenny Jones, like twilight of a career, so to speak, and she wouldn't mind me saying that, you know, she's, like you said, oldest in the field. And what she'd done for women snowboarding, she, you know, along with Spencer O'Brien and, and Jamie Anderson and, you know, the, the, the older guard, so to speak, that they were they were smashing the big jumps you know they were they were trailblazing for women's snowboarding jenny x games gold medaled you know she was she was it wasn't a fluke that she podiumed she she deserved to be on that on that podium for for what she'd done for women's snowboarding and so you'd, you'd seen this and there was all this build-up there was all this pressure going into it that that you it's your friend she's snowboarding you you can't hold it in and it was almost a that talk about validation again but you know that if anyone deserved a medal at that olympics it was jenny jones all the younger kids that were coming through anna gasser for instance we've seen the career anna gasser has had since she's she's got her uh she was always going to get an Olympic medal at some point. She's got her X Games medal. She's got a World Championship medals. But that was quite literally Jenny's last chance. And, it, and that, for me, is she deserved that She deserved that bronze medal. And that bronze medal is as good as a gold to her and, and to us because it is a, a validation medal. But, again, to go back, if we went back and did it again, it would be the same because that is snowboard commentary. That's the passion. That's the love. And, you know, if we'd have been at the top or on a mic or live to the to the, to the the auditorium or whatever, it would have been the same. Um, but Amy was very excited, though, wasn't she? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, oh. yeah. I mean, you know, it, the, the actual footage is amazing. And, uh, you know, it's great to watch. But, you know, it sums up 
the passion that you feel for the sport and 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 you feel for your friends and it clearly didn't do any harm to your career despite uh the wishes of the daily mail and the below the line you know commentators yeah. etc because you were back out you know for for more olympics you're out in uh, pyeongchang and the, you know that was a yeah. different kind of situation you had ski slope style you know getting involved uh as well um and then uh, you, you've actually kind of expanded out of uh, uh, snowboarding into other areas as well. Because when it came to the uh, the Tokyo Olympics, you know, 2020, but taking part in 2021, yeah, yeah, you yeah. then had the opportunity to to commentate on on skateboarding and BMX as well. Well, well, actually, I was there as a reporter, so it, I was supposed to be a commentator. The, the way that the Olympics works is it. it it's not just an easy thing to go to. You can't just rock up and believe it or not and go and just do it in a, in a sense of it's really expensive. The IOC charge a lot of money. So everything costs money. If you want to have a commentary position at a, at a venue, at an event, let's take, for instance, skateboarding. If you want to have commentators, that costs extra money. If you want to have... Um, a camera down in the bottom that costs extra money if you want to have a presenter with the cameraman that costs extra money so everything costs money and everything's extra and it's all you know everything has to be justified and obviously the bbc don't have a very big pot of money contrary to popular belief so as a commentator and as a as a, a broadcaster you need to be able to spam two or three events so you need to be able to go out there which is why you'll see matthew pinson doing track cycling, rowing and fencing. Do you know what yeah. I mean? You've got he's got yeah. his core sport, but then he's learned enough about the other sports. And so with the introduction of skate, surf, BMX, freestyle BMX, I should say, um, they needed somebody that can do all of them. And between me and Ed, we 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 can cover them. You know, I, I'm not an expert at skate commentary. You know, I've skateboarded since I was 10 years old, but I'm not very good. And I'll hold my hands up to that. Um and the same with BMX. I, I can't ride, a, I can't jump a BMX to save my life. But I've immersed myself in the world for long enough that I know, I know the ins and outs of it. But I'm, I'm certainly not the best commentator in the world. But when it comes to something like the BBC, where you're actually commentating to an audience, where you're bridging the gap between beginner, complete beginner, and expert or the core yeah. audience, you know, I, I can bridge that gap and I can do commentary. Um, for that so me and ed were going to go out to japan and we were going to do um all the commentary for all the action sports events um which was which was would have been amazing um but then of course the pandemic hit and uh everything changed and obviously the olympics got pushed back a year but then with with everything that was going on they were going to keep the commentary teams back in the uk so the commentary now for for the last two Olympics, has been done from Manchester, so from the studios in Manchester. And what that means is is that the BBC now are only paying for the train ticket for the commentators <laughs> from wherever they live up to Manchester, which is a, a, a drop in the ocean compared to what they'd pay if they had to send commentators to the events and hotels and food and all the, the, all the rest of it. So rightly so, they got Ed in with the expert commentator. So they had Mark Churchill for skate, John Taylor for the BMX, and then Ben Mondi for the, for the surfing who are the best of the best, you know, they're the best in the business. And I, I couldn't do, I couldn't do the commentary levels that they do. I don't have the insights or the knowledge. So I was totally fine with that. But the flip side was they said, well, would you like to go and be a reporter? So (laughs) I was just, I mean, I didn't even have to, it was the middle of a pandemic. Do I really want to travel to Japan? 
don't get me wrong, I love my family, but yes, I really wanted to go. Yeah. So like, um, why would you not do that? I mean, what yeah. an amazing, amazing experience. And, and in fact, I realize now, yeah, I made a mistake because you were involved in other sports as well, because it went way beyond uh, the kind of action sports as such, didn't it? Yeah, well, this is it. I, I, you know, I was very fortunate that doing that reporting role and a reporting role is quite a glossy, I don't want to say eyes and teeth role. You, you need to know a little bit, <laughs> but you're effectively, you, you're, you're, you, and certainly at that event, you're giving a, a roundup to the audience what's happening where are you today while i'm at the hockey today it's the women's hockey behind me it's england versus india england need to win they lost their first two games whatever if they don't win today they they're out or whatever and then it's kind of like well it's hot she's injured she's this blah 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 let's see how they get on and that's all you kind of have to do you're filling in those little key points i can't believe i actually did that so well about women's hockey <laughs> just then to be honest. but that's yeah it was so like I, it was live. It was like it was yeah. live again. That little red light disappeared. <laughs> but it was, I, I was quite fortunate because I was there for the action sports. And because of the pandemic, the moment your event finished, you had to, you were sent home. But because I was doing BMX, climbing, surf, they were spread out over the two and a half weeks of the Olympics. So I had to be there from day one right to the end. So when it was, whereas all the other reporters were getting sent home, I was just hanging around. I was staying out there, and it was a case of they would, the BBC would turn around to me and go, "What do you know about women's weightlifting?" <laughs> like, not much, but I'll give it a go. Off you go, and it's like, right, you're on men's prelims table tennis. I was like, oh, what I don't know about table tennis. <laughs> so, and because there was nothing else to do, you couldn't you couldn't sightsee in Japan, you couldn't you couldn't do anything else. The literally the only thing you could do was go and watch sport. I was like, sign me up. So I worked every day. I, I was supposed to have a few days off, but I just thought, ah, screw that. You have a day off when you're dead, can't you? So I just ended up going and immersing myself in all the other sports and but, and but doing why not? I mean the the Olympics is the the peak of uh, sporting performance. I was a games maker in, in 2012. Wicked. And so uh, on uh, triathlon. So I I got to I was you know right there on the course for the triathlon races. But a, a couple of days uh, one of my jobs was driving people around. You know, notionally I was driving the triathletes to training venues, but no Amazing. one no one booked me in. And this other guy said, well, you know, with your pass, you can go uh, to uh, the Olympic Village. So I got to drive in there and I just walked around testing my credentials to see like which which places I could get into. And just trying to immerse myself and see as much as I could of this amazing event, you know, while I was there. And, you know, what the experience that you had just be amazing. Not only, you know, did you get to, you know, work in it, you got to see all of these different sports, whether it's you know, weightlifting or, or whatever, you know, these are yeah. the best athletes in the world. Oh, it's, and it's, and, and like laughing and joking aside, I, I did a, you know, I was, I was, I was lucky. I guess I did a good enough job. The BBC quite liked what I did. And they asked me back to do the same for the Commonwealths here in my hometown. And so oh. last summer I worked on the Commonwealth games for BBC sport. And again, just immersed myself, worked every day, just went around to all the different events, but you're absolutely right. The, the most amazing event I saw was the women's weightlifting. I was <laughs> absolutely blown away with the technicality and the skill and the strength of these athletes was just, you know, lifting, lifting 180 kgs above that. That's two of me above their heads. 
Like it was nothing. Well, I mean, it did look quite heavy, to be honest. But yeah, it was. You're absolutely right. Peak performance, athlete, sport. Just there's nothing better. Yeah. Now, God, there's so many things I'd like to talk to you about. Let's keep on that Olympic theme, right? Beijing, you already said yeah. you're in the UK. You didn't go to Beijing. And from what I understand about it, having chatted to you know, a few other people who are involved, you know, that was a good call being in the UK. It was a nightmare being out there, yeah, being out yeah, testing, so. the limits on movement, uh, et cetera. But, you know, what, what were your main uh, kind of uh, takeaways from, um, from uh, the Beijing Winter Olympics? And what were your favourite moments? Ooh, favourite moments. I found I quite I struggled a little bit through Beijing, and I'm not fishing for compliments here. I struggled a little bit through Beijing in a sense of becoming. You do become more aware that people are watching and listening, and because me and Ed after after those first games, we're known as the like the kooky commentators or whatever. Oh, whatever. These are the fun guys, and then they recut our commentary from South Korea. They made these little packages where they. Every day it would be what have Tim and Ed said today, and they'd cut in all some you know some oh, yeah, analogies okay. and similes, and so you you do feel a bit under pressure. And I don't script anything. That's a, the other thing is some people go, oh, you must write a load down, and, and I genuinely don't. Me and Ed just commentate, and we we talk about. It. So I felt a bit of pressure, and you know some of the gold medal moments, you kind of think to yourself, have I done that justice there? Have I have I done a good enough job? And and it was a it was a tough one. We were working through the night, so we were basically nocturnal. Me and Ed for for those two weeks. Um, and and so, am I right? Am I right in saying as well that because you were only provided with the TV footage, in some cases you you weren't able to see all of the, an athlete's runs, which must yeah, make well, it we, really hard to describe. We see what you see at home, so that's when you're commentating. It's called the off tube. So you're commentating off a television, I guess, because tellies used to have tubes in them. They're flat screen now, but yeah. Um, so it's called off tube commentary and you're, you get sent the, they send you the feed from Beijing, comes into the BBC, comes through their computers. They add their own graphics. Then it comes to your screen. You commentate. Then they mix your commentary with the, with the, the graphics and the, the pictures. And then they broadcast it to the UK. So you're commentating. I only get to see what you see at home. You're not commentating on anything else. Or you, we do have obviously uh, a little WhatsApp group with some of the judges out there, and we've got our cameraman mates. So you'd always get that little text in the morning. How cold is it? What are the jumps? What's the vibe? Has anybody dropped their egg sandwich? Or you know, what's the? <laughs> you try and get a little something from someone, just you know, to give you a little bit of extra kind of sense of the day, if you can. But um. When, when it comes to Turin, then, uh, you know, next uh, time around, you know, one hopes that you'll be engaged again and you'll be back on location. I, I'd love to do it. If you're listening, Ron, Ron, um, please hire me. Uh, <laughs> no, it, yeah, I'd love to. I'd love to go out there. I'd love to love to be there. The, the problem is, uh, what is it? My mom says my mom says that self praise is no recommendation. But <laughs> I think we did a pretty good job. You know, both Beijing and and the Commonwealths and Tokyo, the commentary teams have done a brilliant job at commentating and delivering these incredible moments, these sporting TV moments from Manchester. So the question is, why do we need to go back? Why do they need to send everybody there when the commentary teams can do a a good enough job? But actually, the one thing that that the one thing that all of the staff at the BBC are good at, and this sounds like a BBC advert, and it isn't, um, but they're all sporting fans. 
everybody is a sporting fan and even right up to the top bosses you know the 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 exec producers the series directors whoever it might be if they get five minutes off like you said with those credentials they will go and just sit in the stands and watch a gold medal moment and they realize the importance of being there and being able to deliver that experience and deliver those magical moments back to the viewer and it and it and it is by being there and by being there as a commentator you can you get so much more so hopefully they send us back yeah well fingers fingers crossed for that evidently you know being on location i would say is always always uh, better yeah. uh, and you know that's it as well as the commentary you do features for ski sunday i'm pretty sure some of the listeners yeah, will have yeah. seen a few of those really good one uh, that i enjoyed where you went uh, split boarding with um, with lauren and dom from protect our winters in, yeah. in scotland early in yeah. the season we they've both been on the uh, podcast uh, before how, how was that experience amazing scotland is I'm quite lucky when it comes to Scotland, believe it or not. I don't want to jinx myself, but yeah, that was <laughs> December. That was December 22 when we went up there, and I'd actually just come back from St Anton, and I'd landed in the UK, and the BBC had asked me to do um, a piece on Scotland, a bit of a kind of a look at the Highlands and what's going on, and all this kind of bits. There wasn't really too much of a too much of a a plan, so to speak, but we. I got back and opened up my... I literally got... Oh, I was on the transfer bus, opened up my phone, Leslie McKenna's post popped up of all the snow and I. it was looked absolutely amazing. And I phoned, the, I phoned my BBC boss and I said, we've got to go to Scotland. We've absolutely <laughs> got to go. So I drove home from Heathrow. This was on the Monday. Repacked my bags on the Tuesday and on the Wednesday morning we were driving up to Scotland to go and film that piece because... When, you know, Ski Sunday only happens for those six weeks of the year between January and the middle of Feb. And if it's good in Scotland, you've just got to go, haven't you? If the snow's good, you've got to get up there. And yeah, we lucked out. It was really, really good snow conditions. But it was so early, the resorts weren't even open yet. Yeah, for sure. Well, splitboarding, though. Am I right in saying that's the first time you've done that? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, never split boarded before. And we're on the way up and we didn't realise the resorts weren't open. So we're on the way up and... um, (laughs) Leslie, you know, chatting to Leslie, he's like, right, what can we do? What can the feature be about? She's like, well, you could see Lauren. I was like, yeah, that'd be really nice. I really want to talk to Lauren and Dom from from Protect Our Winters and we can do some kind of sustainability bits and the look at kind of Scotland and all this. And, and Leslie said, yeah, but you know the resorts aren't open. You know none of the lifts are open. And we're like, what? So at that point, um, I got on the phone to Jeremy Slade and the snowboarder. So I said, do you have any split boards I could borrow? So yeah, went split boarding. Amazing. So, so good. Yeah, tarring though, right? Well, actually, when you're an elite sport um, <laughs> athlete like me, Ian, <laughs> no, bloody knackering. Yeah. Really good though. And I think I was always put off from split boarding. You know, when you see the rigmarole of the bindings and the, the skins and putting it all together and the poles and all that. But actually, it's not it's not that bad. And it's it's surprisingly easy. You get into it and you just you're just trudging up it's like right foot left foot right foot and you hit this zen you hit this state of like oh i get it now i properly get it because it's not hard in a sense it's tiring but it's it's like walking upstairs so if you if you imagine walking up a ski mountain to the top but you're just walking upstairs that's kind of the sensation so you you once you get into it, you're like, it's not actually that hard and they're really grippy and you can just kind of march up the hill and you get this moment of, 
okay, this is good. I'm in now. This is sustainable. I'm at one with the mountain. This is, yeah, sign me up. Yeah, well, it's funny you said Zen because I was going to, you know, chip in. I mean, I love uh, touring. I'm not a a snowboarder, but I tend to do it on all of my trips uh, to the Alps. And I just love... uh, as you say, that rhythm, you know, you can be very mindful. It sounds a bit cliche, yeah. but you can be very, you know, mindful, even if you're with other people. If it's a, you know, a longish uh, hike, you're not necessarily like talking the whole time. No. And you're generally away from the lifts. Evidently, there weren't any lifts open when you were there. <laughs> so it's quieter, you know, you get away from uh, uh, everyone. And it is it is great. Um, there's another feature. I, I'm pretty sure it was a Ski Sunday uh, feature where you also skied in britain uh yadmos that, that that's right yeah, yeah it was it was well it was at, it was over the hill from yadmos it was a little place called weirdale uh county weirdale, Durham. yeah yeah, yeah. Okay. and it was um again i kind of get the they they send they send the good looking people to go and do like the good features <laughs> um anything in america they send jenny uh <laughs> amy fuller gets all the glitzy ones and i get left with hey it's something quirky <laughs> Something quirky, probably end up really wet and he might hurt himself, send Tim. <laughs> so they're the kind of features that I get, yeah. which I'm absolutely fine with. And yeah, we've, we've, went... we've covered Yadmos on the, on the podcast before. Oh, I, 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 I think that, and someone else pointed this out to me, as you were going down, you disturb like a rabbit that's, yeah. that's hiding and it jumps out across your path or something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That happened, a hair jumped hair, out yeah. like yeah mad absolutely mad yeah. and the the guy some guy had found it on on obviously online and paused it and then freeze freeze framed it and sent me the image of, of this hair leaping out but yeah that was actually believe it or not filmed over two winters because it's was it? uh, right. yeah so uh, don't tell anybody but uh, what an amazing little place that is it's it's kind of owned and run by the um by the local kind of uh, club ski club the guy that runs the lifts is the local gp so if it's snowing and you hurt you know you want to go to the gp forget it because he's up running the lifts which is amazing but they've got such an amazing ski club up there that the skiers and the snowboarders in the in the summer months go and walk down the run they walk down the mountain clearing out all the rocks so actually you it's it's grass basically the whole hill so you only need a kind of a frost or an inch of snow and you can ride down that yeah, I've got it on my uh, Twitter feed because they, they have a webcam there. They I mean, do, they yes. take a photo. I can't remember if it's every day or every hour, but you can see if it's the right sort of day for it, yeah, assuming you're yeah. in the area, and go up there. Um, well, that, that's, that's great. And, I mean, it's such a really interesting uh, story, you know, how you've kind of moved on from from Tamworth to the Olympics, yeah. you know, and, and everything you're doing now. And there, there's so many other kind of – TV programs outside of skiing and snowboarding that you've you've covered. We could probably you know do at least another hour uh, talking about all of them. I'm just going to say that you know I looked through your, your your various YouTube channels out there, and one of my favourites out of all of them was Gravity Grandma. Oh yeah, <laughs> I don't know like, how that idea came about, but but the, you know you could look it up a list. I'll put a link in the show notes. But it's basically a remake of Gravity, starring your grandma. Gendel's grandma, Gendel's grandma, grandma Betty. Yeah, <laughs> grandma Betty. So from working in TV, we've just had all these all these ideas and TV show ideas. And that particular idea is the the, the notion of Sweding. So basically taking a movie um, and remaking it. I don't know if you've seen the actual movie called yeah. uh, Be Kind Rewind. Oh, hold on. Which is, yes. it's, 
it's basically a, a video shop that erases all of the videos, and so they set set about remaking them. It's got Moss Def in it, I think. And so that was an idea where me and Gendall would go around the UK remaking loads of kind of iconic movies with just normal people. So as the pilot to send, we sent that to Channel 4. They actually really quite liked it, to be honest. Um, we basically gave uh, Gendall's grandma the star- starring role in uh, Sandra Bullock's Gravity movie. <laughs> yeah, well, there's so many other things like that. You know, clearly the two of you got this amazing imagination. You've got loads of work. I mean, there was a there's something else called The Indestructibles where you tried human bouncing bombs. Yeah. Uh, which was, a, a, a you know, an amazing one. I, I know you've done a series called Animal Impossible, uh, yeah. testing things to see like if cats always land on their feet. Absolutely. Uh, you know, uh, they do. Says... They do. <laughs> right, there you go. Um, you know, uh, another CBBC, CBBC show called uh, Wild uh, Wild and Weird. Yeah. One I, I watched a couple of videos of called The Nearly Men, which I thought was very funny. Like, that ah. could be like a, a comedy show on its own. And that got me involved with people like um, Mark Webber, right? That's it, yeah. Racing car driver Mark Webber. So, again, that was another another kind of idea that we had for a tv show that we thought might might work and we ended up doing a pilot with red bull and it was essentially kind of me and gendall playing ourselves um it's called the nearly men and it's the premise is that me and gendall are performance improving sports specialists so (laughs) the acronym is piss and we go about trying to improve people that we think you know they've got the potential to be the best they're not the best they're nearly the best um and yeah so we we basically the the story is that we get kind of a bit of a lifeline into the red bull athlete program and we try and help what we perceive to be their failing careers so we're helping bmx's to become better by um by making them watch ET and and you know <laughs> making them ride their first ever bikes, and then we managed to get with Mark, we we sent the idea to Mark Webber, the racing car driver, and he was he was well up for it. So he took us around um, the Silverstone test track in a in a high powered Porsche, and we were kind of trying to teach him how to drive. Well, I, I thought that was uh, brilliant. So again, uh, listener, I'll put that into the show notes. And currently, you know, one of your you know regular uh, gigs uh, is uh, something called Famous First Words. Yeah. Uh, you you kind of tour around the country uh, doing that one. Do you want to like tell us what that is? Yeah. So that so this is again another TV show idea that we had. Um, it's a singing game show. So. We came up with this idea. We, you know, from doing a lot of pub quiz hosting and event hosting, we came up with this idea for sing the first line of the song game. So we play the start of the song, and if anybody can sing along to it, they come up on on stage or or sing it in the quiz, and we give them fifty points. And it was a way of anybody could win the quiz at the end. And we ended up doing it for a Red Bull Summer Conference, and they were they we were supposed to do half an hour, and we did we did two hours of this game. People were absolutely frothing on it so (laughs) we kind of decided all right this could work as a tv show actually so we formatted it and scripted it we got these like 70s suits and we hung the microphone like a boxing commentator we came up with these judges and we formatted it as a tv show we got all of our film camera mates john o'verity and jules and and juice and everybody got them all in to come and to come and film our film this pub um and we performed this show we performed this game show with the idea of turning it into a tv pilot but 
at the end of it, all the regulars in the pub were like, when's the next one? We're bringing our <laughs> mates to this. This is amazing. And we thought, oh, bloody hell, didn't, didn't really think of it as a pub night. And since then, we've been doing it. That was about seven years ago. We've been pretty much doing one a month since then. Yeah, it sounds like a, just a, a much better version of karaoke. <laughs> it is, yeah. Well, the, well, our hashtag, our kind of catchphrase is, it's not karaoke. So <laughs> we go around and, and it's, it's super fast paced. It's really quick. It's got a, a competitive element to it. It's also silly, but it's fun. And yeah, we're doing loads of them. We've, this summer now, we've got um, Birmingham, Glasgow, Manchester and London monthly nights and uh, festivals plus corporate shows and loads of bits. So yeah, that's keeping us busy. Cool. Well, I'll put a link to that into the uh, show notes as well. Well, Tim, you know, I really appreciate you giving me all of this time, especially given that it's your birthday, even if it's not your 50th birthday. (laughs) Absolutely no problem at all. Yeah, it's been so interesting uh, talking to you and looking forward to, you know, following whatever uh, features you're doing on uh, uh, Ski Sunday and all of the other uh, different bits and pieces that you're uh, you're putting out. And no doubt some of them will get picked up by uh, TV. (laughs) We'll see you you developing some of those other ideas that's brilliant tim thanks thanks uh, so much for your time and uh, hopefully we'll catch up soon yeah more than welcome thank you so much for having me on i really appreciate it hi there listener thanks for joining us for this special episode and if you want to dive deeper into tim's work there are loads of links in the show notes uh, don't forget that as of may 2023 there are over 170 episodes to catch up with i just had a quick look at our stats and 111 were listened to in the last week and if you're a ski sunday fan you can find interviews with chemi alcott ed lee and graham bell in our back catalogue and don't forget if you subscribe you'll never miss a single episode now if you do enjoy the ski podcast i always like like to have feedback so just drop me an email to the ski podcast at gmail.com or contact us via social at the ski podcast but for now thanks for joining us today listener and until next time goodbye cool that's it um, I got one other question. Did you, I, I? I didn't mention it uh, in the uh, thing, but White Lines did a defence of your uh, Sochi commentary, and in it they they mentioned this. But I wasn't sure if it was you who said it. Um, riding switch is like writing left-handed while wearing a chip hat and being attacked by seagulls. Was that you? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Ski Podcast. Don't forget that if you want to support the podcast, then remember to book your ski hire with Intersport and use the code SKIPODCAST or simply take the link in the show notes. It'll save you money and help us too. Thanks again and have a great winter.